This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Youth Baseball Talk. Only on lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, Jim Cromer. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Youth Baseball Talk, brought to you by the Rope Trainer. As John Smoltz says, everyone should have one from big leaguers to little leaguers. Make sure you check out theropetrainer.com today. Uh, really appreciate the support of Earl Perrin, John Smoltz, Chris Vern, and all the gang over at the Rope Trainer. Uh, we're going to do an interesting uh, show today uh, that kind of deals a little bit with stuff like that. Uh, I'm interested to hear my, my cohort and crime's take on it. So let me welcome in my co-host, Spiker Helms. What's going on, bud? I have survived the flood. Yeah, I was going to say, you're here. I, You know, we're located in the St. Louis area. I'm actually on the Illinois side of the river, and Spiker is not. And, you know, uh, we were supposed to record the show earlier in the week, and he was unable to make it due to the flood. So first thing we want to do is send a shout-out to all the people listening in the St. Louis area that are affected by this. Um, uh, I know we don't take it lightly over here. Uh, everybody's got problems, and we're just hoping that we can get them cleared up and everybody's safe and uh, you know, uh, it was funny. I do a Cardinal show with Benji Molina and we were talking about the rain out and I said, you know, it's one thing to be concerned about another rain out in a baseball game, but we got people with their houses underwater and people being affected by this. So our thoughts and prayers are with everybody out there for sure. And all across the country, it seems like this, this latest one to come through was the whole Midwest. I mean, what a mess. Yeah, definitely a mess. Well, you're here. Um, it's time to talk a little, uh, a little baseball. I've got some thoughts today and I know you and I were putting some stuff together that we wanted to talk about for the, uh, for the great listeners out there. Uh, before we do that, we do want to remind everybody again that the show is brought to you by our good friends over at the rope trainer. Make sure you check them out. The rope trainer.com. Um, excited to have them as part of the show as, um, today's topic is, a, is an example of why you need to check out the rope trainer. Again, that's the rope trainer.com brought to you by John Smoltz, Earl Perrin, Chris Verna, the whole gang over there. Um, you know, our website, youthbaseballtalk.com, is where you can find the podcast. It's also where you can subscribe, which is the easiest way to make sure you don't miss one. It's very simple to do. You just go to the website, click on subscribe to the podcast. Uh, it's free. You'll get a little notification each time the new show's out. And you can listen to it at your pleasure. That's really what podcasting is all about. You want to listen to it when you want to and how you want to. So at your own pace as well. Uh, I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, I've got about a 30-minute commute to work. I listen to half on the way there, half on the way home. So, again, you can break it up and do it however you want. That's the beauty of podcasting. Uh, we do en- love all the engagement we have on social media. Our numbers keep growing each and every week, and we do appreciate the follows. You can find us on Twitter, at Podcast Baseball. Uh, if you follow us and you're a baseball person, and it's pretty easy to tell from the accounts, but if you're involved in baseball at all, we're going to follow you back. Uh, we're not all that interested in having – 10,000 followers and we're only following 100 people. The reality of it is this is how we find out what you guys are thinking and what you're talking about. So if you're a baseball person, we're going to follow you back. Uh, Facebook, same way. Uh, just type in Youth Baseball Talk. We highly encourage you to follow, to like our Facebook page. And a lot of you guys have done a great job of helping us by sharing some of the great stories, sharing our show. If you continue to do that on Facebook for us in an, in an effort to reach all the great people out there that are involved in youth baseball, uh, we would greatly appreciate it as we know that the show's success has been simply because of you and your willingness to share the show, be involved in the show, and take a little bit of interest in the show. So thank you so much, and uh, and, and we do appreciate it. Lineupmedia.fm, the great group over there, the fastest-growing podcast uh, company on the planet. Make sure you check them out because if you're into podcasting, which you obviously are, they take your entertainment time very seriously. 
Check them out. I guarantee there'll be another uh, uh, podcast on there you'd enjoy. That's lineupmedia.fm. Okay, let's get to the show today, Spike. I am ready. We uh, shared this post um, yes. about two or three days ago, and it, it caught some fire. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Let's get into it. Well, you know, one of the things that we, we see, let, let's first off talk about the post itself. Um, if you're a baseball person at all, you're probably familiar with the name Noah Syndergaard, or better known as Thor, um, the larger-than-life figure that is a pitcher for the New York Mets. Unbelievable talent. Um, you know, an example of, you know, just an unreal athlete that's able to do things that, you know, 99.99999% of the population cannot do. Um, you know, again, I say a larger-than-life figure, really, you he know, is, captivating. He is a massive, massive human being. I remember seeing him in um, 2013, his first postseason appearance, and the guy was just lights out. It was like watching Bob Gibson. Like, this guy is massive coming all at you and throwing 96, 97 miles an hour. Well, you know, just a, a tremendous pitcher, athlete, whatever you want to call it. Um, and again, if you're a baseball person at all, you've probably been following what's going on. Um, he is uh, he's in a bit of trouble from an injury. And, you know, pitchers get hurt. Players get hurt. I understand it. Pitchers are pushing that envelope now more than ever. Um, you know, I say all the time on here, our good, you know, I know Spiker, you know Darren Hendrickson over at SLU. He's a big advocate for arm care and things like that. And Darren's as confused as anybody, and that's why he always says, if anybody tells you they have this figured out, turn around and run, because we don't know. I mean, you know, we don't know why some guys get hurt and some guys don't get hurt. But then there's instances where you can see it coming or whatever, and everybody thinks they can. So we've got a real mess on our hands here. The thing that I always say, and especially, it's one thing to be getting paid millions of dollars to do a job, and sometimes you got to push the envelope or do things that maybe you normally wouldn't do. But Common sense should prevail whether you're five or you're 25, would be my thought. Mm -hmm. Now, we have somewhere along the line, Spike, in my opinion, lost common sense in the decisions that we make when it comes to all sports, much less youth baseball. Well, would you not agree to yeah, some degree? It's, it, I feel like it's always pushing the envelope. How hard, how fast, how, um, how big can a person get? And then be able to push that envelope. Well, and, and here's the interesting thing, and I'm going to use this analogy. So, and I get it. So let's think about this. Training has become a big part of everything everybody does. It's how we've, it, most people much smarter than you and I would say the training is what has made them all better, right? I, I think we'd all agree. Mm -hmm. And what is training ultimately? See, a lot of people don't think about it, but at the end of the day, training is a result of a lot of trial and error. Um, you have to do some things. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You put it together. Guys like you, Spiker, who are tremendous trainers mm -hmm. in the game of baseball, you've probably tried tons of different drills and thought, nah, that really didn't work. Oh, this one really worked. Let's face it. That's how anybody makes a name for themselves in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. So think about this, though. Think about the fastest car in the world. How did it become the fastest car in the world? It became the fastest car in the world by pushing the envelope, ramping things up, doing things to a car that hadn't been done before. Now... Does anybody think for one moment that a guy that set out to have the fastest car did this, this, and this, and it worked? No. No. He probably did this, this, and this, and it didn't work. And then he did this, and it didn't work. And then he did it, and it kind of worked. And it worked for a few days, and then it broke down. And it, No different than the human body. And that's what I think is going on, especially with pitchers in today's game. Noah Syndergaard, if you read this article, is, is a cautionary tale. Um, and, Spiker, you brought it up. And it almost leads me to ask the question, how much is enough? 
When do you stop pushing the envelope? I told somebody the other day, okay, what is the number? There has to be a number you would think that you just can't throw it any harder than that, wouldn't you think? Or maybe there isn't. I don't know. I think you you can't put limitations on that human body. Well, that's the thing. Because, I mean, back in the 90s, if you had a guy throwing 103, that was unheard of. Now you have a guy that's throwing 105, 106. Right. The New York Yankees. But interestingly enough, how many guys can really do that? So it's like, well, that's going to be, Chrome, that's going to be the norm. It's right. going to be the norm at some point. It's going to take a long time, but that's going to be the norm because back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, you weren't seeing guys on average throwing 94, 95. Right. Now the bullpens, if you don't throw 94, 95, you're not in the bigs. Well, and the interesting thing is, and what this is really about is how do you get there and what do you do to get there? Because here's what's happened and here's what you see. As parents, you see this, so naturally the the, the ding ding goes off in your head and you say, whew. Well, my kid's got to get going or there's no way he's ever going to be able to do this. So then you start pushing the envelope at a younger age. Start doing all this. Start doing all this stuff, right? Don't get me wrong. My, obsess- my, my, my guess would be is that there's a lot of people out there trying to do it the right way. But you're never going to get away from people trying to push the envelope. Now, you can sit here and say all the great innovations in the world have been because somebody defied odds and pushed the envelope. And I get that. So let's back it up to what I said originally. And that was what happened to common sense though. I'm all for, listen, sometimes we as a society don't understand the love for something and, and willing to deal with the negative results that come from trying something because you love something so much. People act like because guys are getting hurt, we have to stop. It's never going to change. Guys love it so much they're going to push the envelope to be the best. They want to be the best. What, what are you supposed to do with that? You can't – I always – what do I always say on here? You can't tell a kid, I'm sorry, I love this. This is my favorite. Well, you're not going to be in the big leagues. I, okay, gr- great, awesome. And you know what I always say to that? Okay, well, then we'll just practice half-ass. Yeah. We'll just go about 50% because he's not going to be in the big leagues, right? No bullshit. And I'm sorry to use that word. But at the end of the day – we're here to work and get as good as what? As we can get. Now, everything that's been done is because somebody pushed the envelope. You brought it up. The norm used to be 90. Well, how did it become 95, 96? Because guys started pushing the envelope. It wasn't a magic thing where all these guys were born with magical right arms. It was how they were trained. And somebody had to push the envelope. And unfortunately, it's almost like a battle. Well, let's think, let's think about it this way. 1954, Roger Bannister broke the mile record under four minutes. The following the following years, there are a number of guys that end up breaking that record. So I think it's a matter of pushing the envelope. But then you have to understand when is too much where I, I'm prone to injury. Right, and that's what happened to Noah Syndergaard. Right, and that's kind of, and that's the common sense thing. So, and again, I don't know this to be true because I haven't asked Noah Syndergaard. But the article that you put up, which brings up a great point, is okay. They're saying that they could see this coming because here's a guy, okay, averaged. A major league best, 97.9 miles per hour when That's he threw a average. fastball. That was his average fastball when he threw a fastball. That's unbelievable. That, uh, that's okay. crazy. Now, so here's a guy that averaged 97.9 on a fastball. They say they knew they had problems because he showed up in spring training with 17 more pounds of muscle. Okay? Because he wanted to throw even harder. Now think about that for a second. 
Okay. There's two sides to this, and I get them both. You and I are sitting here going, God, how much harder do you need to throw your average fastball? And you were dominant and on your way to being one of the best pitchers in the game, right? But then the other side would say, well, somebody had to be a pioneer in everything we did, and this guy, you know, how do you tell this guy? Are you going to tell him you can't throw, you can't average 100? Are you going to tell him he can't average 100? So, again, there are two sides to this that you could argue both points. Now, it's easier to argue the side of that was probably a bad idea because now he's hurt. Mm-hmm. So that's a much more winnable argument over the water cooler. But what if everybody would have took that tack 20 years ago? We wouldn't have anybody throwing 97.9. So, again, let's get back, though, to the real deal, and that's the common sense thing. It's the old adage of if Spiker and I are standing here and I grab my arm and I go, man, my arm hurts when I do this, what is Spiker going to say to me? He's going to say, don't do that. <laughs> the old joke, right? Yeah. But it's the truth, and it comes to our kids. So I am the first one on this show, if you've been following me from the beginning, I'm the first one to say, I'm not talking down to you because I did it. So let me tell you something I did to my own kid. I remember the conversation when he told me his arm hurt. And what is the first thing I said to him? Well, does it hurt or are you hurt? I mean, is it a little bit of pain or a lot of pain? Is it a sharp pain or a dull pain? That's the first thing that the majority of parents do when their kid comes and tells them they are hurt. Now, why do we do that? We do that because we know our kids. Oh, you know, and you have conversations in the bleachers with other parents going, you know, he's a little soft. We're trying to toughen him up. That happens every day at every ball field, every soccer field, every hockey rink, every volleyball court. Every bat. It happens every day all across the world. I guarantee you that conversation takes place. And a lot of times what happens? I'll tell you what happens a lot of times. It's what happened to me. I tell my kid, because I think he's a little soft, listen, your arm's never going to feel perfect. And then he goes out there and he keeps doing it and doing it and keeps telling me and keeps telling me. And then I finally take him to the doctor and realize he's really hurt. Now, do you ever have that conversation? I, I wonder this because I'm not a parent yet. I'm 27 years old. Um, and you shouldn't be for another three years. That's my <laughs> advice. But go ahead. Thanks, Crum. Um, do, you, do parents talk about injury versus pain? Well, and the difference between that. Well, here's the difference. Okay, that's a great point. That's, that's the exact point in the whole thing. Because the reality of it is, what does a parent really know? Are you a kinesiologist? Are you a physical therapist? Are you a doctor? The common sense thing here is, what did we just say? What did I just say three minutes ago? If I tell you my arm hurts, what are you going to tell me to do? Stop doing it. Yeah. I've never met a physical therapist worth his salt that didn't look at me when I was talking to him about something. In the future, after that happened... I had to take my kids to a physical therapist that I think a lot of, a couple times, a guy that works for the card, you know, Chris Carpenter's doctor, he's very well thought of in town here. He says the same thing to me every time I ask him. Well, how long would the, he goes, when he can do it with no pain, then he can do it. But until then, why would you do it? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, this is a simple injury. It's not a lifelong injury as here. He's growing. He's got some heel pain or, or maybe is this or that. Can you do it without pain? If you can do it without pain, then do it. If there's pain, don't do it. You're dealing with a lot of growth plates, too. Yeah, I, you know, we're pushing these kids harder than we've ever pushed them. So do you think it's a training thing, or do you think it's a weightlifting? Here, here's the I thing. don't know. In social media, I see, the, I see this all the time. The, I'll see little kids doing speed ladders and then doing push-ups and sit-ups, and I, and I wonder to myself, like, and I don't know this answer. Is that the right way to do it? 
Well, here's do what we do we just worry about the baseball side of things, or do we go towards the training side of things and the athlete side of things? That's that's the real question. Well, think about this too. What what are we talking about here? We're talking about somebody pushing an envelope somewhere, right? Sooner or later, when we talk about that pushing of the envelope, sooner or later, something that somebody did worked, and it worked properly, right? It worked. So you think we're in the golden age of, well, I of don't, training? Well, I, I really, well, actually, I think that's a good point. Well, yes. Think about what you just said, the golden age of training. How did we get here? A lot of trial and error. So we've gotten to where some things work. But th- but again, it's, it's like a wheel. It keeps going round and round and round. So we're doing things. We're changing things. We're Listen, I've been involved in this now for a number of years. And I can tell you that in these nine years, ten years that I've been involved in youth baseball, what we're doing now 10 years later is completely different than what we did 10 years ago. And the talent was pretty good 10 years ago. You know what I mean? So my point is to expect to do something and it work and be perfect. The first time you try something is, is that that's not realistic. So you have to do a lot of things. See if they work. Your point is the best point of all. What is it? Well, I, again, I don't know that you'll ever be able to know. I mean, what is going to happen here? Sooner or later, somebody, I mean, is that what we're asking? And and, and, is, and and again, if you listen to your statement, is that what we need? Sooner or later, somebody's going to do something and nobody's going to get hurt. And you're going to go, well, that's got to be it. <laughs> is that even realistic? I don't know, because here's the problem. You're not just doing one thing. What's a baseball player doing at a young age? Probably if he's involved in a quality organization that, and this kid wants to take it serious, what's he probably doing? He's probably hitting. He's probably throwing. He's probably fielding. He's probably working out. Probably playing 100 games a season. Yeah, he's probably playing a lot of games, putting wear and tear on his body. Chances are at a younger age, and we encourage this, he's probably playing another sport. Now, again, I know just enough to be dangerous. I say that all the time. What does this all come back to, in my opinion, that had the one thing that has changed over the years that you can't get away from? What is the one thing that kids do less and less of? Rest. That's true. They rest less and less. That's very true. Because the more you do, the less rest you get. Well, just thinking about my childhood, I went from baseball, soccer, basketball, back into baseball, and did it all the way up until high school. Obviously, right. I ended up having a pretty good career. Sure. Um, decent career, not not a major league career. But again, again, how much rest? Well, you were a very good athlete, very good baseball player, played at a quality baseball program, okay? I mean, for you that have never seen Spiker, he's put together very well for a 27-year-old man. And he's not – doesn't look like I did when I was 27. I was starting to put on a little weight because I wasn't doing as much, wasn't doing this. Spiker has taken very good care of himself, okay? So my question to him would be this. Think about what you did because you were a good athlete. So think about everything you did. And my guess would be is that you would have to admit that kids today are doing even more than you did. I would agree. I would actually agree that they go more specific. I didn't go specific. Right. Until I I went specific in college. Right. Because I was getting, technically, I was getting paid to play scholarship. I'm getting sure. Paid for school. Well, absolutely. I'm, I'm getting paid to play. That's right. So I have to be completely focused in on that sport. I right. never played basketball again. I never played football again. So maybe it's a specific thing where the body's not getting used to that's right and they're not getting the muscles developed well, around those other okay so so let's look back so now let's take it all the way around and come back to the beginning if and it's a big if right i mean there, I, I don't even know that there's a doctor going to come on here and argue the if 
right? The best guy in the world that probably Chris Verna, who you know is part of Rope Trainer and is the is the trainer to all the great athletes out there and keep them on the field and do all this. He probably would say the same thing, in my opinion, if you listen to him talk. And that is, there are no guarantees. I compare it, I compare it this way. Spiker and I leave here today. We both just won the lottery. We won the lottery and we were splitting. We're excited. We leave. We head down to the Mercedes dealer. We're going to both get a $100,000 Mercedes. Spiker and I look on the lot. We both buy this car. Oh, isn't this funny? They were both made on the same day on the same line. Mine made right after yours. We both pull off the lot. And for the next five years, I listen to Spiker complain about how he's had nothing but trouble with his car. And I look at him and say, man, that's odd because I've never had one issue. I'm sorry, but... You gave me the bad car. <laughs> well, we could go either way. But we both got a nice Mercedes on it. But so anyway, look at it this way. That that I guarantee you that exact scenario is happening on your baseball team. You got a team of ten or twelve kids. They both they all went to indoor training. They probably all worked out. They probably all did this. And you got two or three kids in your team that are probably dealing with arm injuries, that have probably got a heel injury, that might have a back problem, that might uh, have a leg problem. And for some reason these other seven kids don't have any problems. And they all did the same thing. The human body for everybody is put together a little bit differently. And I'm not 100% sure we ever know what it can really tolerate until you what? Push the envelope. What's too far? I don't know. How do you tell people you're pushing the envelope too far? I come back to this. And this is, I think, where I was going with my portion of this. And obviously, Spiker can have his say next. This is a scenario where... If you followed Noah Syndergaard at all this year like I did, and again, I'm, I'm going to admit to you and tell you that the only reason I've been heavily invested in Noah Syndergaard is because he's on my fantasy baseball team. So I pay oh, attention. You're, you're well, taking a huge hit right now. Well, yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. My, my point is is that because of that, I'm always concerned with what's going on with him. This, is th- th- this isn't the first time he's had something going on this year. So my point is these guys push it and push it and push it to the point where you sit there and go, what are you, crazy? I don't have a great answer for all of this. The bottom line is I'm not sure you're ever going to get one other than use common sense, especially when it comes to your kid. Cause ain't nobody getting anything at 10. I, I again, I, I, I get it. If it, it you, just like, I'm not going to tell a kid he's not gonna be in the big leagues. I'm also going to tell him not to work hard, but I think we as parents have to take that role. We want to take that role so hard to push them and take, you know, that, what does everybody say? Oh, man, my, not my son. He really wants to do all this. He wants to do this. And that's fine. So we push and push and push. When do, when do we start as a parent saying, hey, buddy, why don't you take a night off? Relax a little bit. Think about the human body. When you get sick, what's it do? What's it want to do? Oh, it just shuts down. It wants to rest. The only thing that makes you feel better is what? Rest. Are we to not believe that the human body physically, when we take a toll on it, doesn't need rest? Think about that. Noah Syndergaard is 24 years old, and I have not found a study yet. I, I really would love to see if someone has done this. But what is the history behind Noah? What did, what did he do from at a very early age? Was he sports-specific? Um, was he a guy that played football, basketball, or did he just play baseball? Obviously, he's, he's a big guy, 6'6", down in Mansfield, Texas. That's where he's from. And Texas is a huge, huge baseball um, state. So my question is, is he, do we look at the history and then kind of tailor it back and say, oh, this is what's going to cause injury? Do we have to give our kids other sports? 
That's the questions that I really want to know. Will you ever get an answer to that, though, really? It's going to be hard. I mean, because, again, it's my analogy of the car. All it would take, all it's going to take one day is for some guy to go, oh, that, they, they overtrained, right? Mm-hmm. And then seven parents are going to go, well, we did the same thing and our kid's fine. I'm, I, and you always see the, but again, in the articles, when you read these articles, the escape goat is always, oh, he put on 17 pounds of muscle. Well, you know what? I will say this. Um, I will say this. One of the interesting theories when I, you know, I've been doing this show for a while. So it, when I find myself in a situation to talk to somebody that I really think a lot of, mm-hmm. and Dr. Halstead is his name, I think a lot of him. I mean, he's a guy that basically kept Chris Carpenter on the field. In a, in a, that when he shouldn't have been. I mean, you know, what he did was an amazing feat just to keep Chris Carpenter available. Uh, Carpenter was like a robot. Yeah, I mean, he's just, like, put, the, you know, put together. Yeah, and just, you know. Run back out there. So I thought a lot of him when somebody told me that, you know, he had worked with the, the professional teams around here, most notably he was the guy that really did a lot to help Carp. And, um, you know, uh, you know the, the thing is, I asked him because I read an article on this and I thought it was fascinating. You know, everybody out there is trying to figure out what's going on. Okay, because, I'm listen, I'm not comparing it to cancer, but there's a lot of people trying to figure out how to cure cancer, right? Because, and why are they doing that? And they're spending a lot of money on it. Now, you and I would like to believe they're doing it to help the greater good. There's a lot of people doing it because there's a lot of money in it, no, right? Not, yeah. Okay, no different in this scenario. There's a lot of people trying to figure out what the problem is here because it's almost like the million-dollar magic pill. Once you figure it out, if you can figure it out, it's a great thing for business, and you do help people, so it's a win-win, right? Mm-hmm. I read a great article that said, I, I've seen numerous that, that want to point to this, right? I'm a big believer in the rest thing. I'm a big believer in that. I think you can go out and throw, but it's the rest, Okay, in my opinion. But here, this was an interesting one. The I, got inter- a, I got a question, but after you're done. Okay, the interesting one was this. I read this thing saying, you know, these players are putting on a lot of muscle. Even the ones that aren't gigantic. They're still increasing their muscle size, capacity, strength, all that kind of stuff. Muscle grows. Ligaments do not. So imagine this. Imagine, it goes, if you know anything about a car, imagine the belts in a car. Right? What if you keep increasing the size of the engine and the size of everything the engine does, but the belt stays the same size? Eventually that belt, what? It breaks because it can't handle the torque from the engine. It's no different than a ligament. And that's where the, right, is, is that not ultimately? Listen, if Noah Syndergaard has a torn lat, I'm not even going to try to play therapist or doctor here, but, I mean, how often do you tear a lat? That probably is a a, a injury as a result of doing something he did mm-hmm. overtrained whatever you don't see that very often the issue that we really have that's causing a lot of problems are these ligaments right yep tommy john that's right that theory to me makes the most sense of any because you can apply it really to anything you can't increase the torque on anything and not and the, and the mechanism that handles the torque must be increased as well it's it's proven that you can't do that with a ligament now, interestingly enough, they've proven scientifically that when you replace the ligament, because of doing it for whatever reason, the ligament's actually stronger. Hence why some guys come back and throw harder. Hence the misconception of guys out there saying, I, I'm anxious to have Tommy John because I know I'm going to throw three or four miles an hour harder when I get back because the ligament can what? Supposedly, it can handle more torque. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a dumb argument because what we know behind the scenes is that a lot of guys never make it back 
Yeah. Everybody. There's a lot of stories. That's right. And because what do we see? We see pro guys that have ligament surgeries come back and, oh, man, look at him. Look how hard he throws. These are the best athletes in the world with the best care and the best uh, opportunities for training regimens. Not everybody has that. False association. That's right. False association. So that is a theory that I can really jump on board with. Now, what about the rest? How you youth coach? Sure. How how often are you giving that kid a rest? Well, let's say let's say typical let's say 50, 60 pitches. Uh, if my guy throws 50, 60 pitches, yeah. it's five days. He doesn't pitch for five days. Now, what about a guy that throws twelve pitches? Uh, well, I mean, he can throw tomorrow. Twelve, he can throw tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So back to back. I'm days. an inning guy. Yeah. You know, because here's the deal: people don't give enough. People never gave enough. I think you have to. Again, we're back to common sense. When I did it, if you threw an inning and it was efficient, you could throw tomorrow. I'm not going to throw you a, a ton of pitches, but you can throw tomorrow. Now, what about high, you throw two innings? You're done tomorrow. What you about throw. high stress situation? You bring him in, yeah. it's a top closer. You got a shutdown inning. Guy on third, he's the winning run. He ends up shutting him down. You have another game the next day. Same situation. You, you know, less pitches. Day. I mean, it's just a few pitches. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. At a young age, yeah. yeah. I mean. I'm a big believer that you know people want to talk about pitch count. They want to talk about innings. I think it's a it, and to your point, pressure situation. Yeah, to your point, same thing. Here's my thing on that. If you know your kid, I, I mean, most of them, any any kid that ever played for me, I mean, they're out there giving it everything they have every pitch anyway. Mm. Just like I think everybody is, what they can give. There's the there's the issue. What can he give? What's his body? I mean, how's he throw? What's he do? I mean, bigger, stronger kids. Well, if it's a guy that's throwing 50 miles okay. an hour. So so my point is, so think about that and put that all into, into context. I, I will tell you, that, and I've said it on the air, it's, this is no secret, we did it wrong when I first started with my first son. We used to do the tournament rules. We would sit there and go into the weekend and go, okay, we get eight innings. So let's the first game, let's go three innings with, you know, I don't know, Johnny. Then we'll back him up three innings with Dylan. And then if we're still playing, it was six innings at that age. So ideally, if we got three from him and three from him, then the next game, ideally, those are our secondary guys. If we could go two, two, and two, that means on Sunday, we still got Johnny for four innings. We still got Dylan for four and the rest. We did that every weekend. Okay. My younger son's team, I happen to have the guy I think a lot of, Coach Funkhauser, on the team. And and at that juncture, then I had become better – this happened all in conjunction with the older team. The older boys were a couple years older. Now Darren Hendrickson's son is on the older team. So we're doing all this stuff. And within a matter of one week, I have, I'm at a tournament, first tournament, pit kid pitch tournament where Coach Funkhauser's there to watch. We did really well. And we did really well with, we lost to a very good team, which is fine. I don't care about winning and losing. We lost in the championship game to a really good team. It was just better than us. I mean, we were good. They were really good. Um, we were talking about after the game, and uh, you know, we were saying something. I, I always respected his opinion, so I kind of asked him what he thought because it was our first kid pitch tournament. I'm like, hey, what'd you think? Did you think we handled this okay with the rotating of players and all this? Because I, he says, ah, great. I, you know, the kids did this and this. He goes, but I got to tell you, I'm not. I don't. I don't know about that thing you did with our pitchers. I said, well, well what do you mean? I said, you know, we didn't break any rules or anything. He goes, no, that's not what I mean. I, you know, you, you 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 threw the same four kids on Saturday and Sunday, and they all threw two, what, three innings apiece? I said, yeah. He said, ah, that's not going to work. Uh, why not? You can't do that. 
And I said, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, this is a longer conversation than we got time for now, but why don't you stop by tomorrow? I said, okay. So I stopped by the next day and he lays it out for me. Listen, if a kid throws an inning and it's less than this many pitches, he can throw tomorrow and then he can throw this. But if he throws two innings, he needs a day of rest. And if he throws three innings, he needs three days of rest. And this is all as long as the pitches are in norm and the stress situation is in norm. If it's a high stress situation, he throws two or three innings, he might need five days. And I'm sitting there going, they're nine. I go, come on, they don't throw that hard. He goes, I, you think that kid's not throwing, not giving everything he has? That's his high stress situation. Yeah. He goes, now Logan and Cam's bodies might be a little different, so Cam might throw harder, but Logan's still trying to throw it. That's his high-level stress situation. And I left there going, man, how do I coach a team like this then? I, I'm very limited. And then not a day later, I'm at a game, and Coach Hendrickson with his son brings up the same thing. So I start doing a lot of research on this and realize we've been doing this wrong. It's the context of everything. All the variables has to be. So innings, pitch count, high situation, body type. So we changed. And I'm, this, again, I have no basis to say this is perfect or anything like this. We played that same team again, and I was able to throw my number one against them after not throwing on Saturday, and we beat them. And he was dominant. And we started doing that, and we did it that way, and we were a very good team. And teams everywhere I go would look at me because on Saturday, whenever we would play the better team, I'd throw all my kids one inning, all my, my, my top six players in order, boom, boom. And every inning, they'd face these kids, and they were good. The minute I took them out after an inning, the team would get excited thinking, oh, my God, they took out their best pit. And then I'd bring in another kid, and he threw well, and another kid, and he threw well. One inning. And then the next day, they were all available for four or five innings. You went to college midweek. Bullpen I just one one inning. Yeah. And, it, and and again, I would have a kid that would struggle a little bit and throw a bunch of pitches in that inning, and he wouldn't pitch the next day. And people would look at me and go, how do you win? And I'd say, sometimes I don't. That's not about winning, though. Then we went the whole way, and I started throwing my lesser pitchers on Saturdays. And sometimes, a lot of times, we'd go one and one. Sometimes we'd go 0-2. And, and then we'd show up on Sunday morning as the eight seed playing the one, and they'd throw one of their middle guys and we'd throw our top guy and win. And they'd look at me and go, I can't believe you threw that. I, he didn't throw yesterday. Well, how do you win? How do you play? And I go, I don't. I drove all the way to Chicago to play in a tournament one time and did that exact thing, the one, one, one. And the guy goes, what are you doing? I go, this is what I do. He goes, why would you drive all the way up here then? I said, to play. <laughs> 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 you know? I, I again, I used to get a lot of questions about it because people would be like, I don't understand what you're doing. Would you ever back up your your rotation so you'd have your starter go on championship Sunday rather than Well, you know it? how I always looked at it? I always looked at it like just get to Sunday. Now, again, there's two types of tournaments. Think about this. There's the tournaments where everybody gets in. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you basically play two pool play games to do what? See what your seed is in and bracket play. There, yeah. Okay, and I always said, I knew what I had. Well, I'll I'll finish on two. I'll see you Sunday. If you beat my best on Sunday, I'll tip my cap and go home. Why? Because that's how baseball works. Now, if you have to get in, what do you do? You throw your best on Saturday, and then you throw your second best on Sunday, and you hope you win. Now, here was the problem with that. I can't combat the ignorance of other coaches. So what would happen on Saturday? They would do exactly how I used to do it. They would take these four top pitchers, and they'd pitch a little bit on Saturday, and then they'd come back and throw complete games on Sunday. And did we lose? Yes, we did. And we went home. And I'm happy to say that I don't have any arm problems. Now, here's another question for you. 
your number one guy goes on Saturday. Yep. Championship Sunday. Yep. Is he on the field playing? Um. Yeah. At a young age, we don't no curveballs, no breaking pitches, what nothing like he, that. What happens if he's the starting shortstop? He's going to get a lot more throws. Um. Yeah, we used to monitor that. Gotcha. I mean, there was a lot of talk, you know, and we didn't. And and again, let me let me say this: there was never any overthrowing. But you don't have you don't have the staff that you'd have in a high school level. Yeah. No, you, you don't, don't have that. No, there was no going behind the plate and throwing all those and doing all that. Yeah. No, we never did that. Um. You know, and that was a change of culture because. Listen, it kills me at the major league level when they put a guy in the outfield and everybody goes, I, they can't put him in the outfield. He was the best athlete on his team growing up the whole time. You're asking him to go out and run a little bit, okay? Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be a gold glove outfielder, but he can do it. Chris Bryant can play outfield. Okay, he's the best third, one of the best third basemen in well, the league. The Cardinals are dealing with that right now. Well, yeah, that's what, that, that's what always kills me. Now, he's not a gold glover and hadn't done it a whole lot, but I guarantee you growing up, he's probably the best athlete on his team. Okay, mm-hmm. so anyway, going back to this, that was a culture change for us because – Typically what? Your best pitcher is usually your, one of your best athletes, who is traditionally probably your shortstop, mm-hmm. whatever. But, yeah, so that took a little time when we went through that change of telling a kid, hey, um, okay, so you're going to sit after you, you're going to be a no throw, and then tomorrow you might play some left field. You know, you play a couple innings at short, but you're not going to play every inning and just, just some light stuff. So what would you tell to the coach? Like, the kid's not going to like me if I do that. Well, you know what? Um it, we, you and I had a conversation before this about the landscape of youth baseball, and I think I told you that I think there needs to be a a cultural shift in the minds of both parents and coaches about everything from what is success, what is failure, how to approach. Um, you know, you and I talk a lot about the process. Um, you know, this is a long run. Um, I was talking to uh, you and I have been having a lot of conversations about youth baseball and programs and things like that, and I've always said that, if I ran a program, words you would never hear out of my mouth at 14 years old is, "Man, he's going to be, he's going to be a player, and he's going to be on our top team." And he, I wouldn't say it at 14. So I'm sure as hell not going to say it at nine or 10. This is about development and letting them be the best player they can be. Now, naturally, in the natural circle of life, there's going to be kids that are just physically dominant. We see them every weekend on the baseball diamond. They're I, out there. I had a 12 year old that is the same height as me. I'm six foot. How did, how is that possible? Well, but but it is because we see it every weekend. And, and he's going to ballparks of America. He's going to hit so many tanks. Yeah, I mean, I I had one. I had the first one I ever had. My last year coaching that that my youngest boys team. We had never had one. You know, we had an opening. They this kid wanted to play for us forever. It was a very nice thought that we used to have. A lot of people want to do it the way we did it. Um, you know. Uh, Finally, it worked out where we had a kid leave. We had a spot, and he wanted to play the last year with us, and he played. And let me tell you, it was like Kelly Leak and the Bad News Bears. I mean, it, we had never had a kid like that, but he was big. He could, you know, it, you know what? Here, I'll tell you. I'm going to give you that story, and that'll kind of some that'll that'll kind of summarize our, our conversation today. He comes to us and plays for us. We had played against him for years. He was a play down. Okay. He was a very physically mature kid, much more physically mature than everybody else. He was a bull. Okay, we're talking about a 13-year-old kid that was in eighth grade. Okay, but he was a play down. We had played against him for years. He probably at 13 from 54 feet was throwing 70, 71, 72, touching 75 at times. He had an unbelievable curveball. When he hit the baseball with these drop eight bats with the the, the D Marinis, I mean, he's hitting balls out of high school fields, okay, at 13. 
So he was like bench warmers, Carlos. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So, so think about this. Okay. So when, when they come to me and say they want to do this, I say, that's fine. No disrespect, but I have watched you for three years play with that other team. We don't do it that way. Well, what do you mean? And I said, he's not going to throw on Saturday and Sunday for us. He's not going to throw two innings, three innings on Saturday, and then four or five on Sunday. And then, and we're not going to throw 50% curveballs. I mean, I said, I got to be honest with you. I don't have any kids throwing any. The guy goes, well, he, I go, listen, stop. I got you. The reason I don't have any throwing, because I don't have any that can throw it correctly. I understand that, you know, if you throw it correctly, it's proven at 12. It, it, so we, I said, we will slow-mo your kid, and if he throws the, 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 cha- the curveball correctly, I got no problem doing it, but even if he throws it correctly, I'm not going to call it a bunch. I can tell you that. There'll be a number on how many we call per game because I've just, again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm telling you I've done a lot of research on it, and this is the best model I've come up with, right? Oh, you can't hurt that arm, I said, and I'm not going to. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is the parent's. They wanted him to pitch all the time. They wanted him to throw a bunch of curveballs. They won because they felt like that was the best way for him to develop. And I said, he doesn't need to. Okay, I'm going to tell you this right now. With his gifts, he doesn't need to do that. So we did slow-mo him, and he did throw it correct. And his parents goes, I don't understand. And I said, well, let me, let me make you understand. 99% of young kids that throw curveballs are really throwing sliders because they're turning the thumb over. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that the thumb pronates after you release the ball on a curveball. I said, your son actually does it correctly. So I have no problem calling it, but it's probably going to be, you know, I'll put a, I'm going to put a number on it. I'm probably going to get some advice on it. And they're just like looking at me like, and I'm like, I take it seriously. I want him to walk away from here healthy. But, but that was our Kelly League. And we were, you know, we played some of the best teams in the Midwest, and he would lock up with them, and, and we did really well. We had a great season. But that was a cultural change for them, him not pitching on Saturday and Sunday, him, you know, losing a few games on Saturday when when everybody on our team is sitting there going just put him in for just put him in just put him in or we did it we went and played in a in, in an NIT which if you know anything about it those are really good tournaments yeah. if you play at your level it was in Kansas City we go to Kansas City that's the kind of tournament it is you have to make it to Sunday so naturally we throw him and we lock up against can, the uh, Kansas Orioles top program we lock him up he locks up with him, and he completely shuts him down. At one point, he struck out 11 kids in a row. Wow. And he hit a ball over the lights, and we beat him. We actually short-gamed him. Coach walked through the line and said, we get beat, but not like that. And he goes, and, and I typically don't talk to other teams' players, and out of respect, Coach, I want to tell you that I stopped your boy, and I said, as impressive as that home run is, I don't know that we've ever struck out 11 times in a row. And they were a lot of pinpoint fastballs with an occasional curveball and a fastball count. That's how we pitched. We pitched backwards because he was that good. Mm-hmm. Next day. We're in a pool play game. Last game, okay, we have to lose. We can still lose and make it, but we can only give up eight runs. We are in the sixth inning. We have given up five runs, and we're losing. If we'd have won, we'd have been in. We are losing. And I will be honest and tell you this. My assistant coach and some parents wanted me to put him in and shut that thing down, and I said, I'm not doing it. And we wound up giving up too many runs and lost, and we missed by one run. On Sunday, we st- had to stay the night to realize Sunday morning that we were going home. How many parents were on you on that? None. 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 Wow. Now his parents may have been upset, but they never said anything to me. But they would have been. I believe in my heart of hearts they'd have been okay if I'd have put him in to shut that thing down. But I wasn't doing it. And I think the other team was shocked I didn't do it. How did you feel after that? 
Good. Good. You slept fine? Yep. Yep. And I know I could have put him in and shut it down. I just didn't, wasn't going to do it. So we lost. Uh, we played a consolation. And here's the interesting part of that. Let me tell you what happens here, guys. And again, I'm not saying this happens every time. That's what's beautiful about baseball. There are no guaranteed outcomes. Let me tell you what happened. We lost that game and gave up too many runs. So we wound up playing a, a, a consolation game or something. There was some other way for us to get a, a game or whatever. We took a kid with us because you need because if you do it my way, you need pitching. So we would a lot of times take an extra kid with us, and, and they would know. Took a kid with us who actually played on what you, you would typically – I had never looked at it this way, but it was our B team. There was two teams. One of them supposedly, and I never say this, but this kid was a good player and had filled in for us. We took him with us. We played the Mackenside Indians. Good program. Good program out of KC. Good program, good team out of KC. I go to this kid and say, you're up, bud. Hand him the ball. He goes out, throws six innings, 5-0 shutout. Shoves it. So my point is, my point is this, and he wasn't overpowering, and he threw a good changeup. He didn't throw any curveballs. Threw a good changeup, good fastball. My point is this: you never know when you give a kid a chance what he'll do. Now I'm not saying that oh it's a fair world and you give all these kids chances. My point is our approach on those types of tournaments were this: if we make it, if we're lucky enough to make it. Now we're not dumb. If we won the first two games and we knew we were in because we were paying attention to the standings, we might even throw the third game. Or not throw it, but I'm going to throw my bottom two or three pitchers, and if we win, we win. If we lose, we lose, whatever. And then I've got some guys for the next day that are what I would call proven guys. But if we had to use our top three to get there and we got there, I would hand the ball to my middle guys and say, go get them. Because what happens? We play good defense. Maybe we get some timely hits. Maybe the other team doesn't play their best game. Or just maybe that kid goes out and throws a gem. And you'll be surprised. Those players will rise to the occasion. That's they, right. They will. Last year it happened to my son. Now, he's not the biggest cat in the world, but he was one of our pitchers that when we played a team that we knew we just needed strikes, we put him in. He walked like five guys in five years. He could repeat his delivery. It was unbelievable. No curveballs. Awful changeup. Fastballs lower outside corner. Boom, 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 like throwing darts. Okay? Last year, he gets a call from my friend Rick and says, hey, we need help on our 14U Pirates team over in St. Louis. I said, well, we're not playing this weekend. Logan would be happy to play. So him and a buddy go over and play. I show up, and it's pool play to play on Sunday. Everybody gets in. I sit back and don't say a word, and I watch them because we lock up with a couple of good teams, throw their best two pitchers on Saturday. And I'm sitting there going, hmm. Next day rolls around. The coach, who I knew, walks over to me and says, can Logan pitch? And I said, what are you asking? He goes, I'm asking you if he can pitch. And I said, are you asking me, can he pitch or can he pitch for you? And he said, yeah, I'm asking both, kind of. I said, yeah, no, he hasn't pitched in a week. He can throw. I said, who are you going to throw him against? He says, well, if we win this game, I don't have anybody. He'll have to throw in the semifinal. And I said, i got to ask you a question. I said, everybody got in. Who cared what seed we were? He goes, listen, we played two good baseball teams yesterday. We wanted to play a baseball game. So I threw my best pitchers yesterday. I said, okay, I get it. Great flop. No problem. Get in the semifinal, and there's Logan, smallest kid on the field. He goes out and beats team 7-4. Just shoves it. Love it. No, I didn't shove it. Lower outside corner, occasional changeup, ground balls, fly balls. A couple oh, guys really? put good swings on it. He just diced them up. But my point is, He's the smallest kid on the field. The other team is probably licking their chops. 
you never know what a kid might do if you give him a chance. Now, I'm sure, I don't remember identically, but the reality of it was if you look at the win, now let's look at the win because everyone was talking about the win. You had a kid that went out and threw strikes. He gave you a chance, number one, because he didn't walk a bunch of guys and give them opportunities. So he went out and threw strikes. I'm sure, in fact, I remember, there were some nice plays made behind him by other kids, and obviously we scored seven runs. So my point is, you don't have to have this magical thing down on paper going, I have to do this, this, and this, and this to win. No, you don't. No, you don't. And again, I know it's, you know, I've been called a communist because it's not a win-at-all-cost thing. Whatever. You know, I'm the reason why this generation is solved. No, I'm not. Come watch my team sometime. They'll cut your heart out. But the problem is, it's a team. You've got multiple kids on this team. Use them. I've told told people at 9 and 10 years old before, if every kid on your team isn't pitching, you're doing it wrong. And they would look at me like I was crazy, and I said, I didn't say your 10th pitcher should throw in your high-leverage situations, but if you're not using him and giving him a chance just to even learn how to do it, you're doing it wrong. Think about that. And speaking at the high school level, um, when you look at guys that are throwing hard, it, it's sexy to see the, the mile an hour go up. You, the radar gun light up. And I, it's same thing at the youth level. But I always go back to this guy that played in the Missouri Valley Conference because I went to Missouri State. His name's Kenny Long. End up being um, Cape Cod All-Star, number one guy um, for Illinois State as a closer. Ends up having a successful professional career. But that guy did not break 81. Hmm. And, he was, and he was a crafty righty, just crafted up everybody. And it looked like a wiffle ball. It's all about changing speeds, dotting up location, up in the zone, down in the zone, get some movement. I saw I saw a video, Hall of Fame speech by Greg Maddox. It was actually not a speech. It was an interview um, with one of the reporters. And he said the biggest misconception is the velocity. Velocity is probably number four on the most important list. Yeah, but you know what kills me? I, I'm, I am going to say this, though, about that. I'm, I'm going to say this. I want everybody to stop it out there with the Greg Maddox didn't throw hard. He threw 91. And back then, 91 wasn't the hardest, but it was hard enough. But again, his average fastball, he wasn't he wasn't going to be he wasn't going to blow up the radar. No, 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 no. My point is his scout sheet when you look at it, he was 91. Yeah. I'm not saying that he didn't become a better pitcher as he got older and got more crafty. I mean, that 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 little comeback cutter thing he threw over the outside corner. Uh, again, that was an adaption thing though for the league. Nobody was doing that. I mean, people would stand there and watch this pitch, and they just wouldn't swing at it. And it's like, sooner or later, you're going to have to start swinging at that. He would struggle, in my opinion, in today's game with the free swingers. You think so, really? I do. I think he would struggle. Because I've said this a thousand times over. I want you to think about this. And, and again, I want you to take it for what it's worth. Okay? Here's what I believe. I really like Matt Carpenter. Okay? And I don't know Joey Votto, but he seems to be a bit of a goofball. But we all know he's a majorly talented dude, right? I think they do their teams a disservice when they take all these pitches on the corner. You think that they should be more? Well, I, I, what are you taking it for? You and I both know plenty about baseball. Yeah. Are you telling me you can't cover a pitch on the corner? But again, is that the spot they're looking for, though? Well, okay. You can stand there. And, but, but again, how many times are you going to stand there and take it? What do you and I both know about the game of baseball? If you put yourself in a pitcher's count, how bad? Oh, the percentages go way down. Way down. 
So why would you take fastballs on the corner like those two guys do all the time? Now, but then what's the situation though, Chrome? Like that's that's the question that we got to ask is what is the situation? Okay, that and that's my point. So that's into. where I get frustrated when they get in situations where they need to be driving baseballs and they're taking pitches on the corner. That's frustrating to me. So three one, three <sighs> zero counts. Listen, I love my older son to death. I've talked about this all the time. He is a pitcher only now for one reason and one reason only. He looked the part. He's six three, two fifteen as a senior in high school. He was a bigger kid growing up. It wasn't that he couldn't swing a bat the right way or that he was scared or anything like that. I say, I tell my younger son this all the time, the reason your brother failed, he took every 3-1 fastball he ever got. Ever. Yeah, let the big dog eat. His whole life he took every 3-1. He never stood in that box and said, throw it in here because I'm swinging. Never. Now, again, people are going to listen to this and go, this guy's nuts. Matt Carpenter's a great hitter, and Joey Votto hit 400 for three months last year. And I'm telling you, as good as they are, they could be better. In my opinion, they take way too many fastballs on the corner. So you think that's why we're not seeing guys hitting 400? You and I, the next show, for all you guys out there, we are going to talk about the approach in the batter's box. That's what we're going to talk about the next show because you and I had a conversation. This goes right to it, okay? It's the approach. Daniel Murphy is the one that had a great uh, article on it, great conversation, talking about why he became a better hitter. He went up there hunting fastballs. If you go up hunting fastballs and take them on the corner, you're not really hunting them. Now, if you want to go into a zone in a 3-1, that's different. But you can't take fastballs. You're going to tell me, parade them in here if they're out there, who the hell wants to swing at cutters and breaking pitches in a 2-2 count rather than a fastball in a 1-0 count or an 0-0 count? I cannot wait for the next episode because I have a feeling we might disagree a little yeah, bit here. Yeah, it might be a little controversial. I you you were probably a a, a, a four pitch. You you probably tried to get to five pitches every at bat or something. Well, like I was that. a leadoff guy, man. Yeah, I was a switch yeah, hitting yeah, leadoff yeah, spear. Yeah. It's going to be good. I like it because right. I like differences of opinion. Because here's the deal: I don't know if there's a right one. Yeah. Okay. It's all about approach and what you got to know what kind of hitter you are. You got to know what you are. But in my opinion, both of those guys are middle of the order hitters. Okay, they're middle of the order hitters. You're there to do damage. You're going to do a lot more damage on a fastball on the corner, and they can both hit the ball all fields. They're not Nelson Cruz. Okay? Nelson Cruz gives away the outside half of the plate. We know that. Every pitcher pitches he wearing the outside half of the plate. What does Nelson Cruz do really well? He hits mistakes. Yep. That's what most hitters do, right? They occasionally hit a ball the other way when they're on, whatever. My, My point is, what are they going up there trying to do? See, People think you can go up there in a major league game and these guys can do this. No, they can't. They gotta. If you listen to the guys talk, which I love the MLB network now where they have the conversations going on, they tell you what their mindset is. Mm-hmm. I'm giving him that because I can't cover it anyway. Mm-hmm. If he can hit that three times, I turn on go back to the dugout and I look like a bitch. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. But I'm going to cover this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Well, if you're a fastball hitter and you're a good hitter like these guys are and can hit the ball to all fields, why are you taking those pitches on the outside corner when it's a fastball? And you can drive that sucker the other way. What are you doing? This is this is going to be fun. This episode. is going to be fun. Now here, I know before, what you're going to say. You're going to say he was looking for a pitch yeah, inside. Before, before before we sign off, I want to kind of get your opinion because you're on the Cardinals show. You have your Cardinals show. Sure. Do you think Matt Carpenter is a three hole guy? I like him much better in the two. I'd oh, love I him. Completely better agree with that. I'd love him in two. But think about it. He's a six foot first baseman. It's his uh, it's his approach is why I like him better at two. If you're a three-hitter, you think Albert Pujols was taking strikes, fastballs, when he was a three-hitter? Was he taking a bunch of fastballs? 
on the corners, on the ver- on the edges. I, I, I not know. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Give us this thing. Was Albert Pujols taking fastballs? No, he was he in was three hammering. two counts. No, or with three, two strikes on no, the corner. He's, hammer, he's hammering those. Those balls. both of those guys. What do you see out of Joey Votto, and Matt Carpenter all the time? You see him standing there at home plate, looking back at umpires on fastballs on the corners for strikeouts. That's that, that's true. Which is you silly because they're, that's what I'm talking about. Now, we we need to tailor that conversation to that. Yeah, if it's a three yes. two count, yes. or a two count, that's completely different. That's my point. They're too good of hitters to take a ball on the corner hoping that it's a centimeter outside. Yeah. That's my point. Okay, you may have misunderstood me. You may have misunderstood fight, fight, me. Fighting that off. Yes, well, yes, yes, and, well, Eric Thames, he, he was talking about that too. He was like, the, what changed my career where I ended up coming from uh, Korea to the major leagues was my approach, and I ended up fighting off fastballs on the, on, the, on the corners or sliders off the corners and trying to get, my, try to get back into the count and get my pitch. Well, again, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I just you, – you look at a nine-year-old kid and you try to teach him how to swing a bat the right way and the plate's 17 inches. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're asked and, – and again, we're going to get into another topic here. Yeah, I, I, did a show, I, know, I, know. I did a show a few years ago about umpires and I'm tired of all the pitches that are four inches outside being called strikes. It's not doing anybody any favors. We're trying to get this game going. That's why. Oh, get the, you get know the what pay, I always say? Get the paycheck and get out. I'm no different than everybody else. I may have had a pitcher that couldn't throw a strike here. You know what I'll do? I'll bring in somebody else. Yeah. Or the time will expire. Or I'll give up 10 runs and I'll lose. I'll never. You will never convince me that having that wide a strike zone is a good thing for youth players. It's not. Doesn't teach them the game. It, it's not. It's awful. Every umpire out there that listened to this, you can call me, you can text me. You did last time I did the show, and not a one of you had a good argument for my my side of this. None I, of you. I remember. Your only argument is I got to keep the game moving. No, you don't. No, you don't. There's an hour and 40 minute, hour and 30 minute, hour and 50. There's a time limit, and there's a run rule. So if I'm the idiot and I just leave him in there and he walks over. Now, is it, again, what happens in this world? Everything, there's a reaction to everything. We'll figure it out. But if you keep giving and giving and giving, they never figure it out. There was a guy in summer baseball for collegiate when I was in the Mink League. It's um, it, it was, I was with St. Joe Mustangs. And it's a league that you play in the summer where they place you for colleges. And this guy was calling strikes in the other batter's box. It got so bad. Dumb. One of, our, one of our players literally set the bat down and then walked back to the dugout. Uh-huh. And the guy ended up not not umpiring the rest rest of the that season, but again, that doesn't teach anything, and it's also it's not good for the fans. Fans don't like that. Well, again, I don't. That's a whole other topic. But on this one, I think our message to you today is very simply: if somebody tells you something hurts, take it a little more seriously than giving it the old. Well, does it hurt a little bit, or is there pain, or is there? Take it seriously, okay? Because you know, I'll 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 give you my two cents as a parent. Know your kid. If he is indeed a little soft, I can assure you that making him fight through pain is not going to make him any harder. <laughs> That's not what's going to do it. I don't, I've never had anybody come to me and say, you know what, my kid was really soft, but I made him fight through that pain and now he's tough. Never, ever has anybody ever come and told me that worked. No. Nope. That doesn't work. Hey, enjoyed the topic today. 
Great topic. Great topic. Um, hope you did as well. Remember that you can uh, email the show, Jim, at youthbaseballtalk.com. We appreciate your comments, uh, any concerns, any conflicting viewpoints. We're here to take them because we want to talk about them. You can also reach us through our social media, at Podcast Baseball on Twitter. Go through Facebook as well. Just type in Youth Baseball Talk. Again, we're asking you in an effort to grow the show, to share, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, like, um, tune people into it, communicate with us. We're happy to have you. Uh, again, couldn't do the show without our friends uh, Earl Perrin, Chris Vernon, and of course John Smoltz over at the Rope Trainer, theropetrainer.com. As John Smoltz says, everyone needs one from big leaguers to little leaguers, so make sure you check it out. Uh, I'm still working on getting Chris Vern on. He is yeah. about the busiest guy in, in show business, but I promise you that it's coming. We're going to have a new segment starting soon, um, actually giving you guys a little bit of tip about the Rope Trainer and how to use it, so we're looking forward to that. Going to use our website a little bit more, youthbaseballtalk.com to use some videos for the rope trainer. It's becoming such an important tool for everybody to use. We want everybody to know what they're doing. So you can look for that coming in the very near future. Um, But right now what I want to do is I want to take a minute and go over to our contributors that we have each and every week. Of course, we hear from Justin Stone with his EliteBaseball.TV training tip of the week. Uh, Sometimes Travis Kerber, the great Travis Kerber, fills in for him. But this week, let's go on over to the guys and see what they have to say. Take it away, guys. Thanks, Jim. Justin Stone here from EliteBaseball.TV. And a few weeks ago when I was doing our podcast from Europe, I challenged coaches and parents. I said, open a book, pick up YouTube, learn something new. And what I want to talk about today is kind of my transformation as a coach from when I started coaching collegiate baseball in 1998 at Indiana State University to the person I am today and the coach that I am today continuing to grow and constantly trying to challenge myself with new information and a better way to do something. So I want to revert back and tell you some things that I said that were clearly in air as I've evolved as a coach. And the reason why I'm doing this is I think a lot of coaches are scared to try something new in the admission that they were wrong at one time or there there was a better way to do something than they currently do it. It's very easy to get stuck in your ways because challenging yourself with new information, learning something new, or trying something and failing can be very threatening to somebody that's supposed to be in a position of authority. So people look to me as I'm giving information in our industry, to coaches like yourself, to parents like yourself, to try to better the athletes you come in contact with. So that's a great responsibility for me to be right. But let me tell you this, nobody, certainly including myself, has all the answers about the game of baseball, certainly not all the answers about hitting. And that's something that we're trying to get better at as we go, and it does involve faster today because we have more bells and whistles in technology. But I'm going to tell you some of the things that I taught. I remember being a a college hitting coach 1998 through 2001 at Indiana State University where we had several high draft picks, we had guys that went on to play in the big leagues, and I essentially just taught the upper body portion of the swing, specifically with the hands. And reverting back, I used to talk about trying to slot the hands as tight as we could to the body, really taking the knob to the baseball. Getting downhill in the first move to create a steep swing plane to get to the baseball quicker. And these are all things that if you follow us on social media or you hear us on our podcast, are a complete 180 from what we teach today. At that time, in that point of time, I was teaching what I'd learned. I was teaching what I knew. And that was to be as short as possible in order to get to the baseball. And we still had players that had success with that bad instruction. Take a couple of years later and now as a private instructor, 
And I remember doing some lessons for the first time working with Division I athletes again and still working the hands portion of the swing. And I actually said this came out of my mouth with an athlete that was struggling with some lower body issues. And I said, if you've got to the point where you are right now as a Division I athlete and you haven't figured out how to turn your lower body, we have something wrong with you. So we just need to fo focus on the last portion of the swing, which is the hands itself. Why did I say this? And this may be the biggest point of our podcast today, because I simply didn't understand it. How could I teach something that I didn't have a complete understanding of and transfer that information in a helpful way to an athlete? And that's when I started to do more and more video, 2D, 3D video, and I continued to grow as a professional. And the more that I learned about the biomechanics of the swing, the more I realized I didn't know. And I tweeted this out the other day, as a matter of fact. I said, the more I've done video analysis over the last 18 years of hitting, I realized that something I had done my entire life as a player, until I finished my playing career at 22 years of age, I knew nothing about. So basically, when I started coaching, I knew nothing about the craft I was supposed to be an expert in. And of course, you're 22 years of age and you're a coach, you're not an expert in much of anything. And I still wouldn't consider myself a guru. Some people say that to me today. It's like, I'm not a guru of much of anything. I just challenge myself to try to learn and try to get my ability to transfer this information to people like you and break it down as simply as I can. But I don't know that I'll ever, and I'm, I'm pretty certain that I won't, be able to give you every answer about how to make a hitter better because I don't think anybody's ever going to have that information. But I think back to some of the things that I said in air. It wasn't out of spite. I wasn't trying to make players worth worse. It was the information I had at the time, and that information has continued to grow over time. So the point of this is don't be afraid to admit that you were wrong. Don't be afraid to admit there's a better way of doing something than the way you did it four or five years ago. I have a good example again here today of people still ask us from EliteBaseball.tv if I have a DVD copy of what we teach. And we cut a video four or five years ago that's called Building the Major League Swing. And part of the reason we did EliteBaseball.tv is it gave us the ability to, in real time, adjust some of the things or make amendments to some of the things that we teach. If we have a better way of teaching something now than I did two years ago, I want to give that information to you and be able to do it in a very quick manner. It's not that we were wrong, it's that we found a better way to do something. So when people ask me about that DVD from four or five years ago, I said, yeah, I have it. It's just there's several things on there I would say a different way today. And there's several things on there that I think I teach better. Or there's several things on there I wouldn't even teach anymore. And if I look back in five more years, I want to be able to say the same thing. Because if I'm not giving you better ways to say things five years from now, I've failed you and i failed myself as a professional because I have not continued to grow. So that was my challenge to you a couple, a couple weeks ago, is to find something new, learn something new, and be able to present that to somebody else. And don't be afraid to fail, because we're going to, and that's part of growth. And don't be afraid to say that maybe down the road, I can say something better than I did five years ago, or certainly in my coaching career that spanned now over 18 or 19 years, I know I'm a better professional today for that than what I was when I first started. Don't be afraid to change. Don't be afraid to continue your education. Until next week, this is Justin Stone from EliteBaseball.tv, and we'll see you on the field. 
great stuff as always, and we really appreciate uh, the contribution each and every week. I know you guys do as well. You look forward to that tip, and uh, it's great stuff as always. I highly encourage you to check out EliteBaseball.tv, the great, uh, uh, the great subscription thing that you can use, whether you're a player, parent, coach, trainer, anything. It's something that you will find useful to you or your player. It's really great stuff. Uh, the other guy that I think a lot of that I trust my kids with and uh, does a great job, um, one of the best hitting guys I've ever seen is Rick Strickland over at the St. Louis Pirates. He does his Ask Rick segment on here each week, uh, brought to you by the St. Louis Pirates, of course, and his good people over at Blast Motion. Take it away, Rick. Hey, Jim. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Thanks again for having me on the show and being able to have the opportunity to answer some of the many baseball questions that parents and coaches and players from around the uh, way that listens to the show half of me. And this week's question was an interesting one because it's really big on the um, professional side as well. And that is what kind of approach should we have? The specific question that we got this week regarding uh, approach was, uh, you know, hey, coach, at what age should you start lo- talking to kids about taking good approaches during their bats versus just having uh, them just hit the ball hard? Well, I would say that it really depends. The question by itself has the answer in it. When you're looking at approach, uh, the approach that you're teaching a kid could be pick a pitch out and hit the ball as hard as you can. So that by by its own nature is asking a kid to take a an approach to at the plate. You know, you probably need better clarification as to what that question is. Whether you're trying to get him to take balls. Uh, and hit things like that, you know, I, I probably, because of the nature of being how complicated it is for a kid that's 10, 11 years old to hit a pitch at this point in time, you know, the basic approach I would tell a kid at this point in time is to pick a good pitch out to hit. Now, over time, the game is going to be able to teach these kids what their bodies can do, what their bodies can do in order to pick out a pitch and hit it. So that's the to pick out a pitch and hit it, that's the most important thing that kids will have to be able to learn to do as they progress in the ball game. So uh, with their playing skills and things like that. So my, my, my answer to that question, you know, the approach you take should be, uh, it depends on what age the kid is. If he's a younger kid, is pick a pitch out, hit it as hard as you can, move on from there. Uh, as they move up and the game becomes more complicated, the pitchers become more precise with their pitches, and now you're starting to, to develop a more comprehensive approach at the plate. Hopefully that answers a question that we had this week, Jim. If not, feel free to reach out and answer more. Um, can't wait. We're working very hard on the, the uh, swing rehab program online, which we address a lot of these issues when we talk about pitch recognition training, um, uh, approaches at the plate, you know, how to make yourself more efficiently, um, mechanical efficient when you're swinging a bat. Those types of things are coming to our new new uh, website, trainwithrsb.com. So we'll be talking a little bit more about that. And a lot of these questions that we get online, we'll address them on that website as well. Jim, hopefully you have a blessed day. Look forward to the questions we get next week. If you need to reach out to me, I can be reached on my cell, 314-775-4953. Thanks. Good stuff. Love it. Can't uh, can't get enough of it. And we do appreciate your contributions each and every week. Um, really enjoy watching you teach the kids. I feel like I learn something every time I go over there. Spiker, my man. Um, Great topic today. I love having the back and forth with you. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to our next episode. I know uh, we had kind of teased a little bit. We're going to talk about approach in the batter's box. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great thing about this is, is that um, this is another thing that I don't know that you're ever going to get 
two people to ever completely agree on because a lot of times this is about what works for you. You got to know what kind of hitter you are. But tune in next week as we're going to do the uh, the approach in the batter's box. Uh, I believe our question this week for Rick, somebody had asked him, um, uh, when is it time to start talking about approach with a kid versus just hitting? So uh, a little bit of a tease for that, and then we'll go from there. But uh, but for Spike, my friend Spiker Holmes, of course, my co-host, I'm Jim Cromer. This is Youth Baseball Talk, and again, we will see you next week. Tune in next week for another edition of Youth Baseball Talk. Subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the show. Find us online at youthbaseballtalk.com, facebook.com slash youthbaseballtalk, or on Twitter at Podcast Baseball. Plus, check out all of our podcasts at lineupmedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.